Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. I'm reporter Arpan Lobo, joined as usual by our managing editor, Audra Gamble. Audra, how are you? I, I'm doing well. I'm joining you remotely from different cities, which is, I think, a from the newsroom first, maybe. That is true. We're not actually from the newsroom. We are from the from our respective living work, from, work from home office, um, something different. But we are practicing social distancing guidelines. I'm in Grand Rapids here in Holland, um, in our homes and not uh, out in public spreading uh, the coronavirus. Uh, anyway, we are we are back. It's been a while, uh, longer it than has. usual. I know it, it feels like we haven't podcasted about politics for quite a while because, frankly, no one cares as much anymore. It's been some time, but we did have a bit of major news come down yesterday. We're recording on Thursday, April uh, 9th, but yesterday, Wednesday, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, suspended his campaign for president. It, he was uh, the second remaining uh, candidate, along with uh, former vice. President Joe Biden. And now with uh, Sanders suspension, it looks like former Vice President Joe Biden has a nomination on lockdown. Uh, going forward, he will take on uh, President Donald Trump in November. And we thought it would be a good idea, uh, as we've talked about debates and primary results uh, for the past several months, thought it'd be a good idea to kind of get back together and chat about um, what the kind of impact the Sanders campaign had on the presidential race, um, what Joe Biden's campaign is going to look like for, look like going forward. And now that it's firmly Biden versus Trump, what that is going to look like. Yeah. And I mean, you and I were talking, um, you know, prior to the recording that this is fairly early on in the, the political cycle to have it narrowed down to both presumptive nominees. And I mean, obviously, you know, we knew that Donald Trump was going to you know, continue to, um, you know, as the incumbent president, you know, have the Republican nomination. But, um, you know, it, it's still quite a ways away from uh, especially the, the Democratic National Convention, particularly since they pushed it back um, from coronavirus concerns. And, um, you know, now it's it's kind of all said and done and we're moving on to the portion of the, the political calendar that's just straight through to November. Right. And, you know, a lot of uh, states haven't even voted yet uh, right. in their primaries. And, and um, Bernie Sanders is suspending his campaign, so he will remain on the ballot. Uh, he said that is to kind of gather as many delegates. And the reason why a candidate would do that, um, even if they're not going to win, is to kind of try to get concessions from the winning candidate. Um, Biden and uh, Sanders, while they were both running for the Democratic nominee, are kind of on different sides of the political spectrum for that party. Obviously, Sanders is a much more progressive candidate. Well, Biden's appeal is that he is much more moderate. Um, and so Bernie will still be on those ballots, but states like New York, uh, Rhode Island, South Dakota, uh, a lot of states, I believe close to half, uh, don't quote me on that, but uh, multiple states have not gone yet uh, in the primary voting. Um, typically, we have you know, candidates normally try to make it to the convention, which is normally in July, but this year it's been moved to August due to uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and even then, we 
you know, who knows what the world will look like in August. But right now, it looks like Joe Biden is the uh, it doesn't look like Joe Biden is the guy going forward that the Democrats will send out to take on Trump. So what, why don't we talk about what a Biden versus Trump campaign will look like? Um, sure. Biden's appeal throughout his entire candidacy has been that he is a return to quote unquote normal uh in american politics i mean honestly what is normal anymore <laughs> right right uh, that, that's a especially now who, who's right. to say who's to say but um biden's appeal uh is that he's a return to kind of traditional uh, american politics uh american values if you will um, and that's for Democrats, of course. And Biden's appeal is that he'll be able to get voters that maybe wouldn't, you know, be as uh, charmed to vote for, say, a Bernie Sanders if he were the Democratic nominee. Now, we've yet to see that. Obviously, we won't know until November. But it'll be interesting to see how Biden operates going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that both both parties now kind of know what they need to do like the strategy is is kind of written itself by how the the democratic primary you know turned out kind of organically that you know joe biden knows that in order to beat donald trump the the name of the game is voter turnout and especially um you know there was a section of of the democratic party that was very um excited about having a a more um left-leaning candidate and um, you know, somebody that is in more of that progressive camp with um, Bernie Sanders. And the the concern now is that those people will stay home, that they're not energized and excited about Joe Biden as a candidate and that they'll stay home or perhaps if it comes to that, you know, not mail in their, their ballots come November. Um, so I think that's going to be, you know, the biggest concern is, um, you know, Joe Biden's strength in the Democratic Party is he, he has um, a fairly diverse group of of the electorate you know kind of under his his wing of the of the party but the concern moving forward will be can he get those particularly young voters can he get um those voters that were really um in in bernie's camp all the way to now come together and and rally in the more moderate area of the party the the name of the game for donald trump is um you know making sure that those that voted for him in 2016 will will do the same again and that's that's blue collar workers it's particularly in the midwest um michigan and wisconsin were incredibly important for for him um on election night in 2016 and uh you know making sure that those that that did vote for him in 2016 aren't complacent and think well he's got this you know nobody nobody's going to go vote for grandpa joe kind of thing and they may stay home as well so there's a concern of, of that on both sides of the aisle especially with perhaps even, you know, um, if we are able to go vote in person in November, I think there will be still kind of lingering concerns about, you know, large groups of people and waiting in line. And then we saw this, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what happened in Wisconsin with voting um, in their primary. But um, I think that voter turnout is going to be something really important as we look toward the general election. Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the um, with mentioning younger voters. That was uh, one of Bernie's kind of uh, key uh, parts of his coalition were the young voters, particularly young uh, Latino voters, young uh, Arabic voters in, in parts of Michigan, especially, were very enthusiastic about Bernie Sanders. And um, we've seen in polls and even in exit polls and uh, voter voter trends that that enthusiasm uh, for Joe Biden isn't really something that was super prevalent in young voters. Now, Bernie Sanders said in his um 
kind of announcement yesterday. He said that priority needs to be, uh, they need to be Donald Trump, uh, need to get him out of the White House. And part of that will definitely include getting young voters out to the ballots or getting them to send in their mail-in ballots in November. Right. Um, one thing that I think uh, is interesting that's come out since uh, Sanders has dropped or has suspended his campaign, um, several, int- not interest groups, but um, uh, we'll, call, we'll call, yeah, we'll call them interest groups. Like, for, exa- for example, the Sunrise Movement, Justice, uh, Justice Democrats, they were backing uh, Sanders in the primary. Um, and so they've given some demands um, to the Biden campaign because they are prepared to spend, looks like over 100 million in the in advertising and other campaign efforts uh, in the general election. But they are looking for things from the Biden campaign to kind of take on some of those progressive keystones. For example, adopting the frameworks of a Green New Deal, transitioning to clean energy, uh, intersectional comprehensive approach to preventing gun violence, expanding DACA, support for Medicare for all, which was a, even to this day, Joe Biden says he doesn't think that's the way to solve kind of the health care problem in this country. He wants to expand on the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as it's more common, commonly known, that he helped create when he was the vice president. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how much, because if, if Biden Biden will make some concessions, obviously. It's just something that we see during presidential campaigns. Even by November 2016, you had Hillary Clinton um, talking about, oh, free college. And that wasn't something that really at the start of her campaign was uh, one of her kind of key tenants. But we'll see um, what kind of concessions the Biden campaign makes to try and get those more progressive voters while still trying to keep voters that liked him for being a moderate in the first place. Yeah, I think that that, um, you know, kind of dance now of how to bring these different factions of the Democratic Party together and to try to get them unified rather than, well, I guess this is our choice now, you know, like, like making sure that there are still, you know, energetic people within the Democratic Party is going to be a real significant challenge for for Joe Biden, particularly when all of this momentum around um, the presidential election has fallen so far by the wayside with all of the other things going on in the country. We went from, you know, there being, you know, a fairly significant, uh, you know, television viewership for Democratic debates and big rallies and lots of, you know, we were seeing in, in Michigan, you know, we had many candidates and, and many surrogates coming to the state and doing all of these events and there are pretty pretty big crowds to you. Now none of that is allowed and Joe Biden is doing a podcast from his basement and that's kind of it. <laughs> so like having that that momentum so drastically fall off, I think it's going to be very challenging, you know, for for all people that are working in, in the presidential campaigns to try and and re-energize a group of people that were so energetic and then, you know, the world started ending and everything else, you know, shifted and and have to try to rebuild that momentum up. I think it's going to be a really big challenge. Right. And we obviously hope by the fall that, you know, we flatten the curve and that we can kind of get back to our our normal daily routines. But in in the, you know, scenario that that doesn't happen, I I think it'll be interesting to see how these campaigns go about trying to garner support. Um, You alluded to it earlier, um, but the Wisconsin primary actually took place on um, Tuesday. And it was controversial for um, one of the main reasons was that in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, there wasn't really expanded voter by mail. um, And people were still expected to come out and vote in person. And because there was a shortage of uh, election staff, uh, because people didn't want to leave their homes, 
in Milwaukee, the state's largest city, five out of 180 precincts were open. And in, in a higher density urban area, that uh, led to long lines. You know, people were crowded together right. at a time where there's specifically not to be. And on Wednesday, when Senator Sanders was announcing why he was suspending his campaign, he alluded to the fact that he said, I cannot in good conscience go forward and uh, we won't be hold They said the Sanders campaign said that they won't hold any get out the vote rallies because they're concerned. They were calling for the uh, election to either be delayed or um, entirely by mail. But the Supreme Court um, sided with uh, Wisconsin Republicans in um, ruling that the election should go forward. And so that was kind of one of the reasons that Sanders dropped out because he didn't want to kind of keep trying to go forward with getting out people to vote. And we've seen states like New York uh, that are voting in the coming weeks that they transition to old mail elections, even Michigan. Our primary has already passed, but the May 5th election where you might have local ballot questions um, in Ottawa County, for example, um, ballots have been mailed out. Uh, some people have gotten them today. Yeah, and, and it definitely, you know, is possible to make that trans- transition from an in-person primary to an all-mail-in primary. However, that requires a whole lot of coordination. And, um, you know, as, as these primaries, you know, become closer and closer for certain states, they have to start making decisions. And some of them may not necessarily have the time or the resources at this point to make that transition really easily. It, you know, there are budgets set aside for certain things where, you know, smacked out in the middle of, of, you know, a fiscal year and, and that sort of stuff. So it's not quite as simple as, well, let's just change it all to mail and everything is fine. Like it's not, it's not impossible, but it certainly is not an easy task. And a lot of local governments are focused right now on putting all their resources into their health departments and, and, you know, those critical services that are needed. So I completely understand, you know, why somebody may say, well, you know, everybody should just get an absentee ballot in the mail. That's easy peasy. And the idea of it is wonderful. And, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, some success, like we said, and, you know, for the May 5th election, but, um, if you don't have a lot of time to to plan and execute something like that, it can get really messy really fast for local clerks. Right. It's something that takes a lot of infrastructure and that necess- that um, some clerks might not necessarily have. But we'll see uh, going forward. I think the May 5th election in Michigan will be a good uh, kind of. And, and some other states like Washington and Oregon have, all, have, vote, have done mail-in elections for years. So it, it's something that can, can work. But um, in these difficult times, it's difficult to kind of set up that crucial in infrastructure for mail-in elections. Right. One, uh, now that we can go forward with Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee, one kind of key discussion point is uh, who is going to be his running mate, his uh, yeah. vice president nominee. And the Biden campaign has been having internal discussions for weeks. There's a not-so-short short list um, <laughs> of about maybe 10 or 12 names. Uh, we know some of the names on that list and other ones we can speculate on. Right. Um, and so I am actually just going to read you some odds. These are from Bovada in Las Vegas. So the favorite for... Uh, and this is like if you're betting on who Biden would pick, right? Right. If okay. you were uh, going down the casino, trying to lay down <laughs> some cash... 
Um, these are who you would uh, pick as the vice uh, president. For the Democratic uh, vice presidential nominee, this is from Bovada. And as of uh, April 8th, right now, the favorite is Kamala Harris. She was a senator from California. She was in the race for the nominee earlier. She's a plus 150 favorite. And if you're not a degenerate gambler and you don't know what that means, that means if you were to bet a dollar, you will get a dollar fifty back. Um, if you bet on Kamala and she won the nominee. And now the second uh, the second best odds, and this is a name that obviously we in Michigan know, is Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Um, her endorsement of Biden right before the Michigan presidential primary last month uh, drew a lot of attention. She did several events with him, even in Grand Rapids. Um, I was there as she kind of touted a Biden's record on health care. Um, so that that's an interesting name. Now she's only been in, in governor in the uh, governor office for a little more than a year now, and she's obviously dealing with a significant health crisis on her hands. But uh, her name is uh, second on the list. She's a plus four twenty five, so a little more than a four to one uh, bet. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, former Georgia governor candidate Stacey Abrams, uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren are behind Whitmer and Harris. Further down the list, we get some. Interesting names, uh, for example, uh, Hillary Clinton is a 18 to 1 bet. Um, so if you're really feeling bold, you can uh, try and uh, cash that one up. Seems like a risky bet to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there'd be any payout on that one. I think it would be a risky bet for everybody involved, including Joe Biden. <laughs> so um, I think we've seen that story before. Um, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is a 30 to 1 pick. Now, Biden has said he would pick a woman, but maybe uh, Cuomo's handling of New York's coronavirus uh, crisis might give him some appeal. Michelle Obama, former first lady, she's also a 30 to one favorite. And um, one of our favorite presidential candidates, um, Tulsi Gabbard is a 50 to one pick. So Audra, if I gave you a hundred dollars and I said, hey, why don't you go down to the casino for me and you know place a bet, who do you think right now would be the safest bet? Oh man. Well, you know, I, I think that there, there is some truth to, um, you know, a lot of speculation about, um, you know, Kamala Harris. I don't necessarily know, you know, people have, have been touting, you know, Governor Whitmer as saying, you know, oh, they're, you know, Joe Biden is, you know, saying how wonderful she is. And, you know, she's been on a bunch of national news shows, you know, for her handling of the coronavirus and her, Twitter fights with Donald Trump about it. Um, I think if she were a second term governor, I would put a little bit more, um, you know, weight behind those rumors. But um, she is a fairly new governor. And I, I think that she has, you know, in answering that question, she's kind of navigated around it by saying, you know what, right now I'm just focused on, you know, getting Michigan through the coronavirus crisis. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know that, um, you know, Joe Biden would choose someone who is such a new governor. I do think that um, there are a lot of people in Joe Biden's campaign that would like for him to choose not only a woman, but a woman of color. And I, I think that that, you know, is particularly because um, Joe Biden has a lot of support within the African-American community and specifically women um, in the African-American community and, and other minority communities. Um, they have really, you know, been kind of part of the Biden train this entire time and, and never wavered from it. So there are a lot within, um, you know, the Democratic Party that say, you know, you really should recognize that, that that is one of your strong suits as a candidate and, you know, kind of 
outwardly show that and that you're, you know, thankful for the support from from these particular communities. Um, I think he would be smart to do that, uh, especially, you know, when you start talking about, well, who's really going to show up to the polls in, in November. So there's some some kind of initial candidates that I would say fall into that category for vice president, including Kamala Harris, including Stacey Abrams. I would also put Barbara Lee on that list um, from California. So one of those three women, I think, would probably be who I would put that $100 on. But, um, you know, it may be that um, Joe Biden is looking at at Governor Whitmer to help try to carry the Midwest where, um, you know, the Democrats saw saw a failure of of um, votes they thought they could rely on in 2016. So that he may go that way as well. I think I'm a little bit higher on uh, Governor Whitmer's odds um, for the nomination um, than some. Now, you brought up that she's been doing a lot of cable news appearance everywhere from Fox News to CNN to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, um, kind of capitalized, not capitalizing, but kind of, you know, making some jabs at, at the president, um, not only on Twitter, but when she went on the Daily Show, she wore um, a "That Woman from Michigan" shirt, which was a reference to um, Donald Trump Don- not, not saying her name. Yeah. Oh, you know that woman, that woman from Michigan. Right. You know. So, um, and while she's talked about, as as you mentioned, focusing on Michigan right now, I think the Biden campaign might be taking a close look at her and how she would fit as a vice presidential candidate. You brought yeah. up the, the, the. I mean, he, she was on his. You know, I was jokingly saying he had a podcast in his basement, but she was, in fact, a guest on that podcast recently. So, um, you know, they have been been spending some time together and, and hearing each other's ideas on important topics. Right. And and I, I think that you, you brought it up correctly, you know, the kind of failures from the Democratic Party losing key states in the Midwest like Michigan, like Wisconsin in 2016. They absolutely need to win uh, Michigan to get um, back to the White House and and. You know, Trump has kind of made a, you know, put a target on Whitmer, uh, you know, on social media in his briefings. And while they will both say, oh, we are focused on the um, the coronavirus pandemic on hand. It's it's not you know, it's not hard to notice the kind of barbs they are throwing back and forth. Uh, so while while I think, you know, I might be more leaning towards maybe a Kamala Harris um, VP nomination, I think, you know, if we're playing odds makers, I take those odds on Whitmer getting the pick. Yes, she's a first term governor, only been there for a little more than a year. But um, the she's gotten a bit of support in, in Michigan um, for her handling of the ongoing uh, health crisis. So if the Biden campaign kind of wants to for, um, you know, quote, strike while the iron is hot, while uh, Whitmer's name is in kind of the national spotlight, it wouldn't necessarily strike me as a surprise. All right. And uh, as as we kind of wrap up our discussion today, you know, and we'll hope we'll have um, some more news to kind of uh, chat about in future episodes, but, um, you know, kind of maybe get back to our weekly schedule. But um, as we go forward, Audra, what are the things you're looking for in general? Anything we didn't hit on today that you think that uh, should be brought up? Well, I mean, I think it will be interesting, you know, now that we have so much time between now and when these conven- conventions happen in the summer, um, it will be interesting to see how quickly these campaigns pivot to a more national approach. I mean, there, there always is a point in which, 
you know, candidates go from from spending in, you know, the specific states and, and media buys where they have, you know, primaries coming up or large events or something like that to more broad national spread of, you know, targeted ads and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see sort of when in that timeline that switch happens. I know Michiganders were very grateful <laughs> when when all of the primary ads they were being bombarded with kind of went away and candidates moved on to the next state on the list. Um, we're looking but, at you, Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, one, how much money from these, you know, groups that, that you were talking about previously, our pan, and also, you know, candidates like Tom Steyer and Bloomberg and, and people that said, you know, we're still going to give money to whoever ends up being the nominee. It will be interesting to see how quickly that actually occurs and how quickly the the party kind of um, you know all squishes together under the the Biden umbrella now that it has been unified as you know the presumptive nominee. Um, it will be fascinating, I think, to see also how Donald Trump um, navigates finding a way to you know start pivoting to to the general election and. Um, how that's going to play out while also, you know, still trying to to navigate the more immediate concern of the country, which is, you know, COVID-19. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, the other thing that I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about is that now that there is a presumptive nominee, they're um, waiting to see whether or how soon um, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama start, you know, dipping their toes in the water of, helping, you know, Joe Biden um, achieve his goal because he was, you know, his vice president and they are very good friends, you know, from from what we've seen, you know, throughout the years of, of the Obama presidency. But, you know, kind of understandably, Barack Obama was fairly hands off, you know, throughout the primary process. So it will be interesting to see um, if if they will return to the, the political arena to, to help out their old friend kind of deal. Right. And I think it's only a matter of time. And we know from uh, reporting from outlets like the New York Times and Washington Post that Obama has had uh, a small hand, maybe not a small hand, but we know that on a, on what's kind of being called as a bloody Monday uh, in some circles, the day before Super Tuesday, Obama called Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and told them that they should drop out and support Joe Biden. That's what ended up happening. And Biden ended up riding this huge wave of momentum Um to, to kind of go uh, crazy on Super Tuesday. And so we've seen if, you know, if Obama can have that impact maybe uh, behind the scenes, what can he do, you know, at the forefront of a campaign? So we'll see. Um, but anyway, Audra, thanks for chatting. Always a pleasure. Uh, and hopefully next time we record, or hopefully maybe not next time we record, but before too soon, we're back recording this in our office. <laughs> hopefully we're, we've been, uh, you know, just just hoping that all of our uh, plant, our, our desk plants don't die <laughs> in the interim that, that we're not all there. We all should have scooped them up when we could. But, yeah, hopefully we'll be back soon. All right. And then for Audra Gamble, I'm Art Panaloma, and this has been another episode of From the Newsroom with the Hall Center. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast 
set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.